Hi, and welcome to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. In our study of Galatians 3, called Sons of Abraham, we see that the Apostle Paul is taking on the issue of faith versus works for salvation. He says clearly that those of faith are the sons of Abraham and are blessed. That's good news, right? Well, not to someone who is a direct descendant of Abraham and has been trusting in the law and works to be blessed. This was a big deal, and we're going to find out more today in a message called The Blessed Life, Part 1. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 14 is what we're studying. Let me just give you some context. Turning from the subjective experience of the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Paul is now turning to the objective evidence of the Scriptures. And he's proving his thesis that he stated in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul's opponents, as you'll see this morning, took great pride in their relationship to Abraham. They appealed to Abraham in defense of what Paul calls in chapter 1 a different gospel. And so Paul takes up their argument and he turns the tide against them and he uses Abraham as well. And in chapter 3, verses 6 to 14, Paul is using Abraham as a test case. And, And he's showing from Abraham this, is that the Scriptures teach justification by grace through faith alone from beginning to end. No person has ever been saved from Adam and Eve until the consummation, the second coming of Christ. Nobody has ever been saved by keeping the law. Never. It has always been by grace through faith in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And so what Paul does in verses 6 to 14 is he quotes six Old Testament passages to prove his case from the Scripture. And he's positively showing in verses 6 to 9, he's making the positive case that faith alone and Christ alone leads to a blessed life. It is the pathway to blessing. Chapter 3, verses 6 to 9 is the pathway to a blessed life. And so what Paul does in verses 6 to 9 to show you this blessed life is he gives you three arguments. And these three arguments prove from the Old Testament Scriptures that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So that's the context. The first argument, we're going to go back to it for a minute, is in verse 6. And he says in verse 6 that Abraham was justified as an uncircumcised Gentile. I just want us to come back to verse 6 before we move on because verse 6 is the heart of the Gospel. It is the heart of your Christian life. And it is the heart of what it means to confess, to believe the Christian faith. Paul says through no work of his own, through no merit of his own, through no virtue of his own, God counted Abraham, who Paul says in Romans chapter 4, was an ungodly man. 
God, through faith, counted an ungodly man as righteous. And Paul is saying that when we trust in Christ alone, God is like an accountant and he takes his account of righteousness and he transfers his righteousness into our bank account, which is depleted and zero. And the righteousness that he gives us, we saw last week, is this kind of righteousness. It is the perfection of Christ's obedience and the perfection of His death applied to us. So that when God looks at us, it's just as if we have always obeyed and just as if we have never sinned. So that righteousness, that complete and perfect righteousness that God gives us, we said is characterized as Christ's active obedience and His passive obedience. His active obedience was simply his action in his life, perfectly fulfilling the law. His passive obedience in his life and his death on the cross consummated, receiving the full penalty and punishment for our sin. The curse of the law, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Now, just a word of clarification about that to help you think about this for a minute. You must not distinguish in your mind, okay, Christ, active obedience and passive obedience. This here and it's here. It's one complete obedience. It's a whole. It's the complete thing. And so, for example, during every moment of Christ's incarnate life, Christ was engaged simultaneously in active and passive obedience. Let me give you some examples, just two. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, the prophet Isaiah says this, that Christ was despised and rejected by men. That is his whole life. He was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief his whole life. He was as one from whom men hide their faces. And he was despised his whole life. And we esteemed him not his whole life. He suffered his whole life. In addition to his suffering throughout his whole life, his death on the cross wasn't the culmination just of his suffering but it was the apex of his obedience to the law, to his Father. Listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, which was suffering, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so every event of Christ's life was characterized simultaneously as active and passive obedience. All of that is to say this. All of that obedience is what Christ took in our place and did in our place with respect to the law of God. The law's penalty for us in His death, and He obeyed the law's commands for us in His life and in His death, it was all a complete package. And so Jesus, as we learned last week, did this. 
He not only saved us from eternal condemnation and judgment, but He also earned for us our entrance to eternal life. And so from Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul sets forth the heart of the Gospel, namely imputation. The counting, the reckoning of righteousness. This whole, complete righteousness of Christ to us. And so this is what Graham Goldsworthy says about that. He says, the gospel is saying, just listen to that. This is what the gospel is saying to people. The gospel is saying that what man cannot do in order to be accepted with God, this God Himself has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. To be acceptable to God, we must present to God a life of perfect and unceasing obedience to His will. The Gospel declares that Jesus has done this for us. For God to be righteous, He must deal with our sin. This also He has done for us in Jesus. The holy law of God was lived out perfectly for us by Christ. And its penalty was paid perfectly for us by Christ. This living and dying of Christ for us. And this alone is the basis of our acceptance with God. This living and dying of Christ for us is the righteousness that is reckoned to us, imputed to us through faith alone, apart from anything we do. And so Christ's imputed righteousness is the sole ground by which we stand before God like the song that we sang this morning. It is the only reason, as the psalmist says, if you, O God, were to mark my iniquities, who could stand? And you will stand alone because of this perfect righteousness, this almost too good to be true truth, about the imputation of Christ's active and passive obedience. Remarkable that God, through faith alone, the instrument of faith, which is a gift based on grace, apart from merit, apart from anything you do, is reckoned to you so that God looks at your life and counts all of that righteousness as if you possess it yourself. And you say, how can this be? It is through faith alone that we come into union with Christ. The doctrine of union with Christ. We are considered one with Him so that all that He is, we are. And so we are considered by God to have fulfilled the whole righteous requirements of the law, both as to its obedience and to its punishments and penalties, its commandments and its penalties. And Abraham is arguing in verses 6 to 9, that is the blessed life. That is the blessed life. 
So what does it mean to be blessed by God? It just simply means this as we go back. Just as if you have never sinned and just as if you have always obeyed forever. Because Christ alone. That's the pathway to blessing. That's Paul's first argument in verse 6. Here's the second. Verses 7 and 9. Verses 7 and 9. Sonship is not physical, but spiritual. Look what he says in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So having set forth in verse 6, Abraham is the test case, which is justification by faith alone. Paul says that he's going to expand on his argument and he's going to include who are Abraham's descendants, who are those who are blessed. And his argument revolves around the matter of sonship to Abraham. And the questions that he raises here are critical for your life. This is the question that you need to consider as we look at these verses. Who does God accept and on what basis does He accept them? Who does God accept and on what basis does He accept them? That is the question that Paul is answering in verses 7 and 9. Who are the recipients of the blessings that were promised to Abraham? And so Paul appeals again in his argument to Abraham to prove his case. And he takes you back to the Scriptures. And he goes back to Genesis chapter 15, which he's doing in this context. And look what he does in verse 7. This is critical if you read it too fast. Look at the first two words. He says, know then. What Paul is doing with those first two words in verse 7 is this is he is calling the Galatians to recognize what is obvious. What is just crystal clear. The logical answer to what he just stated in verse 6 is if you are counted righteous through faith alone, Paul says, if that is true, then know this, Galatians. The the word know here in in the Greek is an imperative. It's not know something in terms of like, you know, just think about it. It's like, know this. This is the Apostle speaking. When the Apostle spoke, Christ Himself was speaking. This is very authoritative. Paul as an Apostle is saying to the Galatians and to us today, you need to know this because it is crystal clear. Know this. What does he want us to know? This is what he wants us to know. Since Abraham was justified, verse 6, as an uncircumcised, ungodly, pagan, Gentile, it logically follows that the true sons of Abraham are also those of faith rather than those of circumcision and subsequent obedience to the law who are like Jews. Abraham was not a Jew. 
When God justified him, he had not been circumcised. He had not kept any regulations for dietary laws and anything like that. He was a Chaldean. In the book of Joshua, it says he lived among pagans. And Paul says it is so logically and obviously clear. Know this, Galatians. If Abraham was an ungodly, unjustified Gentile whom God justified, you are just like Abraham because you are a Gentile. You're not circumcised. You've kept no laws, dietary laws. And God, when I preached the gospel to you, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, and made Christ crucified crystal clear to you, you know this. It's clear. And so that's Paul's argument. And so over against, listen, the circumcision party. Paul insists that it is the faith party who are the true sons of Abraham. Now, Paul's declaration to his opponents, the Judaizers, would have been humongously offensive. His statement here served as a stinging reproof and rebuke, and it ran counter to every single thing his opponents stood for and believed. Let me just give you some background so you appreciate this. The Jews took great pride and boasted in the fact that they were sons of Abraham because of physical descent. They gloried in their reception of circumcision, as Paul later on talks about in Galatians, that they boasted about their circumcision and those whom they had circumcised. And so the supreme confidence, the supreme boast, the ground of their justification before God was the fact that they had marks on their body and the fact that they had subsequently kept some dietary laws and observed some Jewish feast days. And so they were the real godly people. (sighs) Circumcision was set forth by a misunderstanding of Genesis 17 as the indispensable mark of God's people. Those who were not physical descendants of Abraham, but nevertheless wanted to be in the blessing of Abraham, had to get that mark, which was circumcision, then they could be included. But anyone who refused circumcision and refused subsequent obedience to the law could have no part in the blessing of Abraham, the blessing that God promised to Abraham. Because they said he had broken the covenant. Now when you come to, like, for example, John the Baptist, you see that that was clearly wrong. Let me give you an example in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. John the Baptist comes along preaching the correct interpretation of the law. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, John the Baptist warned the Jewish people against relying on their physical descent from Abraham for their eternal security. He says, don't think that because you're physical descendants from Abraham, you're the people of God and you're the blessed people because God can speak to that stone and make it a child of Abraham. John the Baptist clearly understood that physical descent from Abraham did not equal being a true son of Abraham. Jesus, in John chapter 8, you might want to turn there just for a minute. Jesus in John chapter 8, 
Jesus clearly distinguishes in John chapter 8, crystal clear, between Abraham's physical and spiritual seed, offspring, descendants. And as he confronts the scribes and Pharisees here in John chapter 8, Jesus reveals and illustrates for us the deep-seated pride of the Judaizers that Paul was contending against. So let's just look at this for a moment. Look at chapter, chapter 8 and look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Look at verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I know that you're physical descendants of Abraham. I know that you're circumcised. I know that you keep the law. Or that you appear to keep the law, which you really don't keep the law. But I know that you're physical descendants of Abraham. And listen to what Jesus says to them. Yet you seek to kill me. Later, John says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. We'll come back to that in two weeks. Because Abraham saw Christ. He believed in Christ. He was saved by Christ. If you believe the promises of God, what don't you want to do to God? You don't want to murder Him. I know you're physical descendants of Abraham, but if you were true descendants spiritually of Abraham, you would not be seeking to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And Jesus looks right at his opponents and, and they say, they, they answered him, Abraham is our father. There's the boast. There's the ground of justification. It's right here. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, offspring, you would be doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed God. He trusted God. He placed his faith in Christ alone. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing what your father did. And then Jesus goes on and accuse Jesus of sexual immorality and being born of fornication. And then here Jesus says this, your father is the devil. We're going to come back to that. Physical descent equals the devil, condemnation, judgment, eternal punishment. Spiritual descent equals eternal blessing. We'll come back to that. Just keep that in mind. So John the Baptist said physical descent doesn't equal justification, blessing. Jesus, physical descent doesn't equal blessing, justification. Paul, Galatians chapter 3, go back to Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. In similar fashion as John the Baptist and Jesus, in contrast to the Judaizers' legalistic view of the Old Testament Scriptures, misreading Genesis 17, forgetting Genesis 15 and Genesis 12. Paul also, like John the Baptist and Jesus, sets forth a gospel-centered, grace-centered view of the Bible and of justification. 
It's critical. If you read Graham Goldsworthy's book, Preaching the Whole Bible is Christian Scripture, Graham Goldsworthy says this, if you want to understand the Bible, you must understand this, that the gospel is the key that unlocks the whole meaning of the entire Bible. It's exactly what Paul's saying here. Paul contends vigorously against these Judaizers' false gospel, and he deprives them of their supreme confidence. Circumcision. And he argues that just as Abraham was justified by faith alone as an uncircumcised Gentile, so are the Galatians and so are we. In chapter 3, verses 2 to 5 and verse 14, Paul makes a critically important argument, which is this. What is the identifying mark of the people of God? It is not circumcision. In chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, in verse 14, Paul says, if you want to be marked out as being longing to the people of God, possessing the blessings that were promised to Abraham, you are a person filled with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Blessed Life, Part 1. More from this series is coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at paramountchurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.